So the last time we left Job, we were in chapter 35, and Elihu was speaking. This is the final speech before God um, makes his appearance. And so when we left Elihu in uh, chapter 35, the last thing he told Job was that Job should count it a blessing, um, that God has not shown up to render judgment or to answer Job's cry for justice or Job's cry to have his case heard, all those things, because if he did, Job wouldn't fare too well. And so I'm, gonna, I'm going to put chapter 36 and chapter 37 together because it's basically one, one big long speech. 35, 36, and 37 is one big long speech. But 36 and 37 both kind of have the same subject. And Elihu is going to give Job... The reason that uh, Job has uh, sinned in the midst of his suffering, the reason why he should not be calling God down for judgment or to hear his case or to call him on the carpet for what has been happening to Job, things like that. And the, uh, the subject matter he's going to present is just the perfect glory of God. And uh, these two chapters are going to show, this is another reason, uh, I think the, the lesson before last, we talked about reasons why I think that Elihu is a prophetic voice rather than just another friend giving bad advice. Um, I think we, we talked about the fact that when the Lord does show up, he rebukes the three friends and he most certainly rebukes Job, um, but he doesn't rebuke Elihu for what he has said, and um, we've also seen that um, that uh, Elihu is he is not um, he's not condemning Job or saying that Job has sinned and that sin has caused his suffering. He's saying that Job is sinning in the midst of his suffering, um, and that God um, heals affliction. Uh, he uses affliction to deliver men from a, their affliction. And so um, that's another reason. And the third reason is here, we're going to see it. Elihu here is going to say basically the same thing that God is going to say when uh, he arrives on the scene and, and begins to speak to Job. He's basically going to say, who do you think you are? You know, tell me this great knowledge that you think you have, that you can call me um, call me down out of heaven to judge your case and to give you justice. Um, and so this is what Elihu's going to do. And of course, you know, Elihu can't do anything without introducing, you know, introducing what he's going to say. So in the first four verses, um, he, he's going to tell, he's going to explain his intentions. He says he's going to speak for God. He's going to show that God is righteous and he's going to be the prophetic voice that Job needs to hear. That's what he says. He says, in verse chapter 36, it says, And Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar. He said, I'm not going to speak from myself. I'm going to get my knowledge uh, from afar, speaking of God, and ascribe righteousness to my Maker. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to claim God is righteous. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Uh, I don't think he's talking about himself. Uh, I think he's talking about the fact that he is a prophetic voice for God. Uh, of course, that can be debated, but we save that for another time. Basically, uh, verses 5 through 15, he is going to speak about 
God's ways. This whole, really the whole chapter is about God's ways. God's ways are perfect. God's ways are just. God, God's ways are righteous. And man does not have the right to question God's ways. That's what we're going to see here. <clears throat> Verse 5 through 7, he's going to say that God is perfect in his justice. He says, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever and they are exalted. Now, he says that God doesn't despise any. What he's talking about there is God doesn't look with um, uh, a discriminating eye. Let's say it that way. God doesn't judge one man uh, more deserving of his grace and mercy than another man. He doesn't judge one man more deserving of blessing than another man. All men are equally sinful in his eyes. Um, he doesn't hold grudges against people. Uh, he doesn't um, show different judgments to people. Uh, a human judge might very well do this. You, you see it all the time if you've, um, you know, just off the top of my head, if you're in a courtroom, you know, and the 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 little blonde girl from the rich families might get an easier punishment than the guy who is from a poor family and is always in trouble and those things um he's the judge the human judge will decide based on his own limited wisdom his own limited knowledge his own preconceptions his own sinful discriminations uh, things like that um god doesn't do that he says that god judges all um, all uh, alike. He does not keep the wicked alive, but he gives the afflicted their right. He he understands what he's saying is that his justice is perfect. Um, God gives justice to the afflicted, and he will always punish the wicked. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true, uh, even if it doesn't happen in this life. Um, that's something that we talked about before in this book, that uh, there is perfect justice, and perfect justice is coming. We live in a fallen world now, and although we may see the wicked prosper here, uh, there's coming a day when God's judgment and God's justice will be done, and it's and it's perfect. And God's eye is always on the righteous, and he establishes, he establishes kings. Now, what do we do with this where it says his eyes are on the righteous, where it says no one is righteous? And, and that's kind of the point. What he's talking about here is that the righteous are those who, uh, if we take the Bible as a whole, uh, of course, if you cut it up piecemeal, you know, you probably can't make sense out of this verse. But if you take the Bible as a whole, we understand that the righteous are those who come to God by grace through faith. And so he's, his eyes is always on the righteous. They're not righteous in and of themselves, but they're righteous through God. And if we just isolate this book, we see the perfect example in Job at the very beginning. Job was not sinless. Job uh, was required to bring sacrifice every single day. Uh, not only for him, but for his children in case they had sinned and he didn't know about it. Uh, and so Job was declared to be a righteous man by God, but yet we still see Job sacrificing for his sin. So the righteousness that we're speaking of here is not a righteousness in and of myself of my own obedience, but it comes by grace through faith. Um, and and through a mediator, through a sacrifice, and we know that you know we know that to be Jesus Christ. So he's saying that God is is perfect in His justice, but he's he's also going to say that God is righteous in His discipline. And what Elihu is doing here, he is 
Um, he is he's answering Job's objections. Job has has said that God is hiding from him, that God refuses to listen to him, that God refuses to come and judge his case, that God uh, refuses to give him answer when he cries in affliction. And Elihu is explaining God's ways. He's saying God is perfect in his justice. Don't you dare say that he's not. Uh, he's saying that God is righteous in his discipline. Um, and he says that, you know, the reality is that that God is righteous in everything he, that he does, but uh, when he disciplines man, um, it, it feels like to men, especially if you're the one undergoing discipline, it feels like um, it's not fair. You know, that's the first thing you always say. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, how can you be doing this to me? But the reality is that God disciplines, and when he does discipline, it's always righteous. Uh, verse 8 says, And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions that they are behaving arrogantly. He says, And if they are bound in chains, if they are caught in the cords of affliction, then he lets them know. He lets them know and declares their work and their transgression. Um, and he declares their arrogant behavior. Now, you may be saying, and I would be too, wait just a minute. That's the whole point of the book of Job is that Job wants God to declare him, to declare his transgressions. He wants him to declare his work, and Job is called an affliction. So this kind of contradicts. But here is Elihu, the prophetic voice of God, and he's doing just that. He's declaring what Job has done wrong. Job has not sinned. Job did not sin in order to. Um, Job did not bring the suffering upon himself by his sin. We know that for a fact. Um, that's what the whole book is about. But in the midst of his suffering, he he fell into sin. And here is Elihu, the prophetic voice sent by God to show him where he has sinned. It's the same thing that we see uh, with the prophet Nathan and and David. Um, David sinned against Bathsheba. You know the story. He killed Uriah, her husband. And, um, you know, David just pretty much rocked on for a good year. And then in comes this man, this prophet of God, uh, Nathan, and he declared to David his sin. And that was God uh, speaking through the prophet Nathan, declaring his sin and letting him know his transgressions and letting him know that he's behaved arrogantly. Um God opens men's ears to instruction, and he, uh, he he commands that they turn from that repentance. That's verse 10. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return uh, from, from uh, iniquity. And so what you see here is that uh, Elihu is saying, God has not, God is not silent. You have his word. You know his. You know who he is. He's spoken to you. You know his attributes. You know that he is not unjust. He is not unrighteous. And the reason that he has been silent so far is because that you have uh, called him on the carpet, so to speak. And so he, Elihu is here being that prophetic voice that uh, that needs to that needs to be in Job's ear and. On a side note, uh, a lot of people want God to speak to them and uh, give them information in, in their own way. They want God to come and, you know, 
tell them his will or, you know, whatever, whatever problems going on in your life, whatever solution you need, whatever things that you're pondering over, they want God to drop a big blinking sign down and or, or, or make something pop into their brain and give them the right answer. And, and they want God to reveal himself other than the way that God has revealed himself. And that's by his word. That's by the word of God. Um, Job had intimate knowledge of God and what God required. Uh, if he did not, then how would he know to sacrifice? And how would he know when to sacrifice? How would he know why to sacrifice? And so God, uh, Job understood and had a relationship with God, but in the midst of his suffering, uh, when the suffering went on and on and on, uh, Job uh, demanded uh, a better revelation. Let's so say it that way. And, and people do that the same way today. I I see it all the time. Um, you know, I just don't know what God wants me to do here. Well, what does the Word say? Well, I don't know. I haven't really checked. I haven't really uh, prayed and, and got into His Word and sought for an answer. Uh, God has revealed Himself perfectly the way that He has chosen to reveal Himself in His Word. But we often want a uh, a better way of instruction, so to speak. Uh, and he so he says, look, God disciplines men, and God uh, reveals what men have done to incur discipline. And that's what Elihu is doing right now, is revealing to Job what he's done to incur discipline. Uh, verse 11 shows you know, what men must do to respond. He says, verse 11 says, if they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity in their years in pleasantness. Now, does this mean that they're going to have lots of money in a Rolls Royce if they'll just listen and serve him? No. More often than not, serving God means that you won't have those things. Serving God means that you uh, give up the... Uh, play pretties of the world and you don't seek after the notoriety and the fame and the money and the the things that bring happiness in this world but you will complete your days in prosperity and your years in pleasantness as you know the lord and grow in him and the joy that comes with knowing him we set our affections toward heaven we don't set our affections here and that's what it means to listen and to serve him so it kind of uh, demonstrates you know, I can see another objection of, of saying, well, isn't Elihu just saying the same thing that the friends were saying? No, I don't think he is because um, he's talking about he's talking about listening and serving God, turning from um, not some secret sin that Job must have squirreled away that, you know, not even he knows about, you know, not some some unknown sin that God in, in all of a sudden has changed his mind and, and brought suffering upon Job. This is something that's well known to Job. He has started to address God in a high-handed manner. And uh, that's not some secret sin that God has suddenly changed his mind about and is not going to include in the sacrifices that, uh, that Job offers. Um, so, uh, Elihu's message is um, is very different than the message that the the, the three friends give, um, and, and of course, verse twelve he gives the opposite. He says, "But if they will not listen, they perish by the sword, and they die they die without knowledge." And uh, and what he's showing is that God God's discipline is. Um, 
it's going to reveal what's inside the heart of man. Um, in verse 13, it says, The godless in heart, they cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. Um, they die in youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Now, look at the two different options he says there. In, in verse 13 and 14, he says, it's the, the godless, when they're disciplined, when God disciplines the godless, their heart cherishes anger. And they don't cry for help when he binds them. What they say is, why me? Why have you done this? You're unjust. How could you be doing this to me? And they die in their youth. Um, and their life ends among, when it says the cult prostitutes, but what it's talking about is their life ends in idolatry. It ends in sin. It ends in, you know, it, they they fall away from knowing the Lord. Uh, doesn't mean they lose their salvation or anything like that. It just proves that they never had it. Uh, when God disciplines his children, verse 15, it says, look what it says, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction. How does he deliver the afflicted by their affliction? Uh, he does that because he opens their ears. And it's by adversity he opens their ears. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hard-headed. Um, when God... <laughs> When God speaks to me and teaches me and and shows me his ways and makes me more like himself, it usually involves some kind of pain. It usually involves me falling to my knees and understanding that, man, I've so messed up and I need your I need your help and you know, those kind of things. And and in that sense, it is it is it is good uh that it, that he afflicts us. Uh, David writes in one of the Psalms, he said, it was good that I was afflicted. Um, it, it, it sure doesn't feel good when it's going on. But God truly does work all things for the good of those who, who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, uh, and so it, it helps to open the ear. Um, we want to hear from God, but most of the time our sinful flesh is in the way. Most of the time our pride's in the way. Most of the time our junk is in the way, and it takes adversity. It takes affliction sometimes uh, for God to open our ears. But you see that the discipline it doesn't it doesn't cause the discipline comes, and it doesn't cause um, the person to change. It reveals what's there. It reveals the heart, and this is what we're going to see at the end of Job. Job is going to be one of the ones whose ears are opened and he is delivered from affliction by his affliction because at the end of the book, Job is going to repent. He's going to repent profusely. Uh, but it says here, it says, when, when men are disciplined, you got two types. You got godless and you got those that are righteous, those that are, you know, trusting God by faith. Um, it says that the godless ones, when they're disciplined, they cherish anger in their heart. Um, and they refuse to repent. They refuse to call upon God when he binds them. Um, and, and their end is going to be meted out exactly what they desire. They're going to, they're going to die in the sin that they so desire. Uh, but when, the, when God's children are disciplined, it says he opens their ears by that adversity. The same adversity that opens the ears in the child of God it, it causes anger 
in the heart of the godless. And that's what it, that's what's going on here. Um, Job is being disciplined um, at this point to understand that uh, that he is is sinning against God in the midst of his suffering. Now we're past talking about why he is suffering. We're past talking about that. So uh, understand that when we we're talking about Job being disciplined, we're not talking about uh, the suffering that he is undergoing is not discipline for a sin that he committed. But the the silence, the, the silence of God in the face of his suffering is the affliction that Job can't stand. It's the, it's the silence of God that has uh, pricked Job, Job's ears to... Uh, to uh, lead him out of adversity. I don't know if I'm making my point very clear, but when Job started suffering, he handled it really well. I mean, he did great. He he refused to curse God. He uh, stuck to his faith. He, he trusted in that God was, was doing right and that uh, all things were working out and that God had a plan. God had a purpose. He did great. Um, but the more that the friends talked to him, the more that they called upon him, the more that they challenged him, uh, the more and more he started calling out for God to come and vindicate him. The more and more he started calling out for God to come and hear his case, to come and 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 and, and vindicate him in front of his friends and let him know let them know that it was not for sin that he was suffering. Um, but in in those moments, in that in that time, in all the speeches of Job, uh, God never showed up. God never addressed Job. God never uh, God never came and told Job why what was going on. He never come, came and told Job um, the secret to his suffering and why he was going through these things. And God never came and told Job, hey, you know what? You're right. And, and you've done good and you've done well. And you've been, you know, he never did any of that. God, for all intents and purposes so far in this book, has been silent. And so this is the discipline that Job just can't understand this silence of God. This is the adversity. Uh, verse 16, Elihu alludes to this. He said, He also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there is no cramping. And what was set on your table was full of fatness. And so you see, God, he's saying God is blessing you, Job, in the midst of your suffering. He's blessing you with discipline in the midst of your suffering. Um, that's, I know it's confusing. I can hear myself and I can, I can see where people would mistake what I'm saying. He's not disciplining Job with suffering. He's disciplining Job in the midst of his suffering. Um, that's what Elihu says. He said, he has allured Job out of distress. He's bringing you out of distress into a broad, broad place. And he's set a table full of fatness, uh, uh, this discipline, this silence from God, we we talked about last week. This when when silence is a mercy from God. Well, this discipline is a blessing, uh, and it proves that God loves His children. Um, that just seems so counterintuitive. Okay, so you're saying uh, God loves me, and He's proving it to me by not speaking to me. Um, it, it just doesn't add up. But 
God is speaking to Job through the prophet Elihu. And as soon as Elihu closes his mouth at the end of this speech, God himself is going to show up and he's going to speak to Job. And so this is the end point of Job's discipline. This is the end point of God's silence. This is right before uh, chapter 36 and 37 is a single speech. And right at the end of that speech, God bursts on the scene and nobody else gets another word. God has the final word. So God is going to speak to Job. Um, But in the midst of all this, Job is warned not to sin against God. He says uh, in verse 17, Elihu says, But you, talking to Job, you are full of the judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice sees you. He's saying, Job, you're responding just like the wicked do. You're responding to God's discipline just like... Uh, you just like we've talked about through this whole book, the suffering you've endured is not the discipline; it's the silence that God has um, th- that God has chosen to to place upon you that is your judgment, and you're responding just like the wicked do. You're full of the judgment that the wicked have when God uh, disciplines them. You're cursing God. You're saying, you know, he hadn't cursed God, but he's saying, where are you, God? You know, show up. You owe me a, an audience. You owe me. And and Job needs to v- beware. Uh, verse 18 says, you beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing. And let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. He's saying, look, be careful here. I mean, you're treading on dangerous ground. You're getting into, you know, when you say, uh, God, you owe me an audience. You owe me an explanation. You're coming really close to scoffing. And that's what Elihu is, is warning Job about. He's saying, you beware. Um, and you need to beware. And don't let uh, let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. He said, don't don't let all this suffering, don't let all this uh this payment that you're paying, this discipline that you're enduring, don't let it turn you aside. And the reason you better not do that is because you need his strength. Verse 19 says, will you cry for help? <clears throat> will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? He's saying you're not going to be able to prevail, um, not through this, not through anything in your own strength. So don't be scoffing at God. Don't uh, let the the uh, severeness of this discipline turn you aside uh, from from trusting God, from seeking God, from obeying God. Um, you better not sin by turning away from his instruction. Verse 20 says, Do not long for the night when people vanish in their place. Take care, do not turn to iniquity. For, th- for this you have chosen rather than affliction. Now, <coughs> this, excuse me, <coughs> This illustrates the point of what Elihu was trying to get Job to see. Um, the affliction that came upon Job is not uh, discipline for some sin that he didn't know about or that he forgot about or whatever. Um, the affliction, we know why it came. God tested Job and he used Satan to do it. We know why that happened. But here in the midst of his affliction... He calls to God. God is seemingly silent, although he'll speak momentarily. Um, and Job uh, more or less gets angry that God has not come to vindicate him. And so Elihu says, don't turn to iniquity. Don't turn to sinning now. Verse 21 says, 
He says, this is what you're choosing. You're choosing to turn to sin rather than affliction. He's saying, um, rather than just staying in affliction, and he is in affliction, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you're turning into in iniquity. You're turning towards sin uh, on top of the affliction. Uh, it wasn't sin that caused you to be afflicted, but now that you're afflicted, you're turning to sin. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for Job uh, to do this. And he, he goes on to say that God's ways are they're just unsearchable. They're, they're, they're unattainable by man. They're above. They're so far above. We, we just don't understand them. And you can't understand them. And God is perfectly sovereign in his ways. Um, in verse 222, he says, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? He's intimating that God is teaching Job um, by his silence here. Verse 23 says, who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you have done wrong? God's irreproachable. You can't say uh, you're wrong for not showing up. You're wrong for not answering my questions. You're wrong for not doing this or doing that. Um, no man has the right to say that to God. And this is what Elihu is telling Job. In verse 24, he says, Remember to extol his work. He's telling Job what he should be doing. You extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it uh, from afar. He's saying, you know, you, you, better, you better start praising him for the work that he's done. Uh, all men see the works of his hands. They see the creation. They see how the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the, the plants and the animals and the... They see, all mankind has seen God's handiwork. You better start praising him for his handiwork rather than uh, charging him with injustice because he, he's God and his ways are beyond your comprehension. Um, verse 26 says, Behold, God is great and we know him not. He's saying it's beyond. The number of his years is unsearchable. Uh, his ways are beyond our comprehension. Uh, his, his ways are are too great to know. And he just lists a few of them. He said, he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist and rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Uh, behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. Now, listen to what he's saying. All those things were, were natural a phenomenon that God controls. He he, uh, he you know he draws up the drops of water and then provides rain. In uh, the skies they pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Verse twenty eight. He makes it rain upon on man, and, and it says you know we don't understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunderings of his pavilions. He he scatters the lightning and he you know these things he does, but in his ways uh, there are some men who are benefited benefited by his ways and some men who are judged by his ways god uses his means to do his will that's what he's saying he's saying you can't say that you understand what god is doing or that you know better that god that what god is doing or that you can charge god with injustice because you have no idea what's going on he said god controls all the rain the lightnings the the thunders, all those things, and he uses those things according to his will. It says, 31, for by these, what are these? These are the thunderings and the lightnings and the rain. 
By these he judges peoples. And also, in that same verse, by these he gives food in abundance. The same rain, the same storm that blew the house down, that killed your children, Job, uh, provided rain for the farmer's crops who lived, you know, miles down the road. You can't say that because uh, suffering has come upon me and God has not given me a satisfactory explanation as to why that I can charge him with injustice because God uses um, all his means. He uses the creation to do his will. He uses his power to judge men. He uses his same power to provide for men. The same act that judges also provides. And, and God's in control of all things. Uh, verse 32 says, He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. It crashes, declaring his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. Even the animals know that God is in control. And it's strange in verse 32 um, if you ever had lightning strike your house or tornado hit your house or something awful like that happen, um, Elihu is not making excuses for God here. He's saying he covers his hands with the lightning and God commands it to strike the mark. God commands the lightning. God commands when the lightning strikes and where the lightning strikes. And so Elihu's not making, he's not making excuses. He's saying God's sovereign and God's going to do what God decides to do and you are not only are you uh, wrong to call him out and say you owe me an explanation but you're wrong to uh, to be angry with God and to call God unjust when he doesn't readily provide you with an explanation that's Elihu's claim and it's basically going to be the same thing that God claims when he shows up in verse 38 God is basically going to spend the whole time saying Job who do you think you are you know where were you when I made these things where were you and so chapter 37 uh, I'm going to go through 37 really quick because uh, there's a lot there but basically Elihu is just continuing to um, to show God sovereignty in his ways. Um, I mean, verses 1 through 20 basically says the same thing. says that God works as he sees fit for blessing you know, or for judgment. It says, At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of his place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go, and the lightning uh, to the corners of the earth. After his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Uh, and it goes on to say that he controls the snow. He controls, you know, he controls... Uh, the beasts and that go to their their lairs. He controls the whirlwinds. He controls the ice. He controls the thick clouds. He, you know, uh, they, it says verse twelve says they turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He's he's um, he's magnifying God here in this in this long chapter. It it would it would do well for you just to uh, to go through it and read it. Um, and, and starting in verse 14, he addresses Job personally and says, Job, um, you shouldn't think that you, uh, you can possibly understand the wondrous works of God or how he works. You have no right to call him unjust for not coming and hearing your case. 
uh, verse 14 says, Hear this, O Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind. He says, you're affected by these things. How could you know how God does them? Uh, can you, like him, spread out the skies? Here, Elihu is saying, almost verbatim what God is going to say. He's going to say, do you know how I created? Do you, are you able to count the stars? Are you able to, he's, he's basically saying that, you know, who do you think you are, Job? And, uh, uh verse 21 through 24, uh, the final parts of chapter 37, basically Elihu ends his speech by saying, God is working for his own purpose. He's not working for your purpose. Um, Job ha is basically throwing a fit because God hadn't shown up to answer his questions and uh, shown up to vindicate him. And it says, verse 21, uh, God works for his own glory. Uh, 21 22 say, And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor, and it says, God is clothed. With awesome majesty. It's saying, you know, when the light comes, bright skies, the wind comes and clears them. Uh, the north looks beautiful, sunset, golden splendor. He says, you need to understand God's working for his own will, not for your will. He doesn't do things so you will be pleased. And he works not only for his own glory, but he also works according to his own nature. Verse 23 says, the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Therefore, men men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Um, he's saying God works for his will, but God also works according to his perfect nature. Job cannot say that God is unrighteous, or God is unjust, or God is deceitful or uh, playing a game with him because he will not show up and answer Job's inquiry. He will not show up and vindicate Job. He will not show up and hear Job's case. Um, he cannot say God is unjust because God will not and cannot work against his own nature. God by nature is righteous. God by nature is just and therefore anything that God does is just and righteous and just because we don't understand it just because job hasn't got all the facts in yet uh, he cannot lay charges against god and the next thing we're going to see is that god is going to show up and he is going to prove what elihu has has said uh, he's going to prove it to be true